0: On today's episode, we are talking about hidden food sensitivities and how they impact our body in terms of inflammation, which also can impact our brain and cause brain inflammation, leading to a whole host of things such as brain fog, forgetfulness, fatigue, and more. We also dive into some important things that you need to know about gluten as well as share some pretty crazy statistics. So let's dive in today.
1: Up, it's a new week. Yes. Happy, happy Monday, guys. I cannot believe it is. Carson asked me this morning when he woke up. He was like, When's Christmas? I was like, uh, it's literally the first thing that came out of his mouth. It's like from a dead sleep to when's Christmas. The other morning, so he's been really into watching Home Alone and actually the super annoying reenactment of Home Alone that some family did okay. um on YouTube. And, uh, so he has been acting out home alone a lot. And the other morning he woke up and he did, you know, when Kevin gets the aftershave and puts it on his face and then screams, that was the first thing he did the other day when he woke up, literally first thing rolls over hands on the face, screams. And I'm like, what goes through your head?
0: (laughs) I want to know. I want to know. As I was telling you earlier, Marcus is in this phase of like, everything is last night. We went to Chad's house last night. I'm like, we didn't go to Chad's house last night. We went to Chad's house like six weeks ago. (laughs) Um, But yeah, he'll just like tell me very random things. And by the way, he doesn't want a big boy bed. Mm. I tried to take that. So if you guys have listened to the podcast for a while, my son is a climber. So we have a crib tent and we zip him into it. And I think it's more of like a comfort thing now. I mean, he's nowhere near like growing out of the crib yet, but like we have everything to put it into a full size bed. And I was like, we'll start just a transition to, red light green light stay in the crib nope screamed his head off we have to put the crib tent back in
1: okay um, Taylor's a climber and mm. Carson was not and so now it's like relearning what I need to keep an eye out for because she just finds everything to climb on mm. and like if we have a little step stool in our kitchen because I, I like need to reach cabinets sometimes up top and the other day I turned around and she was on the step stool hanging from the oven door I was like oh my god <laughs> 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 and so yeah I, it's a whole new experience with the second child <laughs> <sighs> oh, My
0: Oh they're so fun i just wish i could know like what goes on in their little minds I you know, know like when they're strategizing to get what they want like what are they uh-huh. thinking about you know or like this morning it was pajama day at school and we had to wear the superman pants that he normally doesn't want to wear because he wants to wear his pajamas and so it's like always backwards of what you're
1: yeah, Carson. Carson's definitely, obviously, Taylor knows when she's doing something wrong. You can tell by her facial expressions. Like, she always goes, if Jersey's bowls are on the ground, you have to run over to them before she gets to them, because she'll just, like, stick her hands in the water and eat his food. Um, Carson is very much like, like, the other day we were on the way home from daycare, and I, like, I had my songs on, like, Shuffle, and some song came on, and he's like, Mom, this is a pretty weird song. And I was like, uh, okay. And he goes, you should probably turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just like <gasps> okay <laughs> you're the boss i'm no longer the boss i'm no
0: longer the boss well marcus told me this morning as i was telling you over lunch first we have to drive in silence and then he was demanding different songs you know we get to the abcs i started singing with him it tells me to be quiet because i'm gonna wake up the babies i'm like okay maybe they teach this at school at certain uh, hours i have no idea but there's no babies to wake up in the car and you don't have like a baby sister. Or baby I'm, okay. It's just so interesting.
1: Um, Okay. So totally different note. Um, We want to talk about food sensitivities today because I think that they can be a driver, sometimes even, I wouldn't say root cause because I think a lot of times food sensitivities present because of a leaky gut or because of gut dysfunction. Um, But they can also contribute to it further. And The big thing that I think a lot of people need to understand is that food sensitivities or food allergies, like, might not be anaphylactic. They might not be, you know, you have massive digestive reactions. Um, Food sensitivities, I think the number one symptom is fatigue. I would dare to say that if you were to ask yourself on a scale of one to 10, what your energy level is, 10 being amazing. One being, I literally can't stay awake during the day. What that would be, and without stimulants and motivation. Like, if you did, if you took discipline out of the equation, if you took your like drive, you know, and all of that and caffeine out, coffee, what would it be? Because I have a feeling a lot of people would probably be like a two.
0: Yeah, I was going to say definitely below five Mm -hmm. the majority of the population. So I think it's a chicken
1: and egg scenario,
0: right? Like you were mentioning, you know, so leaky gut can be caused by consuming foods that your body doesn't recognize and perceives as, you know, pathogens. So it's uh, inflicting an immune response and, and vice versa. Like when you have... Um, you know, leaky gut and you're consuming foods, it's only going to make inflammation worse and that you're sensitive to. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit of today about, you know, inflammation in the brain. We're going to talk about gluten. Um, you know, this is one thing that we do look at with a lot of our clients uh, because we want to make sure that especially if we're going through like a healing protocol, if there's missing links here, like the person is like, yeah, I feel much better, like 80% better than I did, but there's still something here that's like the missing link to my puzzle. Then it's like, okay, maybe we're using a test like the MRT to look at, uh, that's a mediator release test. What would be causing inflammation in the body that you're consuming? And again, as Becca mentioned, this doesn't have to be digestive issues. Like if you think about somebody with celiac disease, or a food allergy, they know that they can't have gluten or that they are, for example, my husband is severely, deathly allergic to cashews. He knows he cannot uh, consume that or he's gonna end up in the hospital um, looking like Hitch. You know, <laughs> So these things are delayed responses and you can have a delayed response up to 72 hours later. Mm-hmm. So even something that you had on Friday could be impacting you Sunday or Monday. And a lot of people don't make these correlations. And so something like the MRT is gonna show us... Um, you know, quantitative, there's different levels here that they rank things uh, in terms of reactivity levels. So we have in our green category, you know, a number here, uh, 0.01 all the way up to 1.9. So we look at like high greens and then we look at yellows on that test, which are moderately reactive. And then we look at reds, like we are very reactive to these things. And so we remove uh, those food groups for a period of time. And then we're also looking at trends and correlations. There's no perfect food sensitivity or food intolerance test out there. Um, From what I have seen in the various tests that I've done over the years, the MRT seems to be a bit more accurate. Um, I believe that they say they're not over 90% uh, accurate. So it's nice to have that information sometimes to bump it up with like a gut healing protocol to make sure that the person isn't continuing to ingest things that's driving inflammation while they're trying to calm down the inflammation. And so you know, one of the things that we're going to talk about today is like inflammation is a root of a lot of disease. Um, And again, what we may not realize is that the inflammatory processes are a key component of any neurological presentation. And so one of the most overlooked yet powerful strategies to really help bring down this inflammatory burden on the body is to address these hidden food sensitivities. Again, these delayed uh, responses in the body and remove these burdens so that you can reduce the stress and allow your body to heal. And then we can bring those things back in. Uh, there was a period of time I've shared this before, like in my 2014, when I went through the gut healing protocol, we removed things for like nine to 12 months, of course, during, you know, uh, the reintroduction period that started at like month three, but it took a while to bring things back in. And what I had to do is, you know, one food at a time, look at the reaction because just because I had removed it according to the a test didn't necessarily mean that I was going to be able to to tolerate it so you know it is a part of a lengthy protocol but it can be really powerful if it's really causing a lot mm-hmm. of issues
1: yeah so when it comes to neuroinflammation or inflammation in the brain um, it's important to understand that any kind of systemic inflammation that's going on in the body can create or exacerbate inflammation in the brain because inflammation releases things called cytokines so cytokines cytokines are kind of chemical messengers, um, of the immune system and they are inflammatory messengers. So they can cross the blood brain barrier, um, and activate inflammation in the brain by priming certain cells that are kind of like the brain's immune army. Um, and they create basically a neurological inflammatory response. And this inflammation can be from any source. It can be from obviously like a head trauma, um, joint inflammation, unmanaged autoimmune condition. It could be from stress. Chill yourself out. It could be from trauma, from a compromised gut barrier like leaky gut. Um, That's the main thing we're going to talk about today. Food sensitivities. So like ultimately anything that drives inflammation in the body can drive inflammation in the brain. And food sensitivities contribute to that in kind of one of two ways. First, they add to the body's systemic inflammatory burden. So we talk a lot of times about like threshold. And, you know, we're going to talk about gluten later. And I think a lot of people are like, well, I don't feel bad when I eat gluten. Other people get response. Same thing with diet soda or, you know, fried foods or alcohol or whatever it is. And yes, there are a lot of players in role here. But when your body is on fire in terms of inflammation, when you are dealing with a lot of irritation within the body you're just gonna be more reactive to things. And that's what a lot of times we'll see is people are like, well, you know, it started with like, I wasn't feeling great, but then I started having all these different food intolerances and it became more and more foods that I couldn't eat. And that's an example of the threshold becomes lower and lower because you aren't addressing the root issue or, you know, one of maybe many root issues that's creating the problem. And just more things are basically fuel to the fire at that point. And so, like I said, you might not necessarily, you know, know what particularly started it, but these food sensitivities add to that burden. They basically increase that cytokine activity, um, and throughout the body, and that crosses the blood brain barrier, activates that inflammatory response within the brain, and then you know, it's simple inflammation kind of begets inflammation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what this might look like
0: is fatigue, as Becca mentioned earlier, brain fog, inability to remember things, right? walking into a room, what did I just come in here for? Or, you know, forgetting somebody's name after you've met them like five or 10 times. So it can show up in a lot of different ways. And it's not like you're going to feel that inflammation in your brain. Yeah, of course, maybe you're having like, you know, headaches or um, things like that. But uh, the second way that food sensitivities can contribute to that brain inflammation is through the mechanism by which they develop, which is intestinal permeability, as we've kind of already mentioned. So That is essentially leaky gut Um, when the normal tight junctions of the gut lining, which are designed to be very selective in terms of what they allow to pass through into the bloodstream become inflamed, irritated, or damaged. Um, And we're going to talk more about this with gluten uh, especially, but they become leaky, allowing various toxins, pathogens, improperly digested foods into the bloodstream, and that triggers an immune and inflammatory response as the body now has to go and clean things up, right? It's got to address things that have gotten into the bloodstream that shouldn't be there. So at the core mechanism, uh, intestinal permeability is what leads to the development of food sensitivities. When there's a leaky gut, improperly digested particles of food move into the bloodstream and become potential antigens. Uh, This triggers that immune response. And when that immune response drives inflammation, that is a food sensitivity. So it just means like any kind of food can become a sensitivity. And this is gonna change throughout your life. It's gonna change depending upon the state of the gut. Um, You know, so for example again. Back in 2014, I had a lot of things that I was eating um, that popped up on uh, the report. So there was different types of fruits that popped up. Nuts was a big one. I had to remove almonds and all nuts um, for quite a while. And I tried to reintroduce them uh, and it didn't go so well. So I had to remove them again for another three months. Continued to work on my gut health, healing and sealing the gut, which we're going to talk about in another upcoming podcast with some protocols that we do. And then I was able to layer them back in and I don't have any issues with them. So even though these foods like those are healthy foods, right? They seem uh, you know good for you like even lettuce or avocado, but if they're triggering an inflammatory response because it's getting into the bloodstream in a maldigested form, that's going to present an antigen to the immune system and the immune system's going to respond and it's there and it's now a food sensitivity.
1: Mhm. And so like she said anything can become a food sensitivity. It does not need to be the big heavy hitters, gluten, dairy, eggs, those big ones that I think a lot of people think of. Um, It can be literally any food because you end up in this situation where it's just inflammation overload. And now you're having chronic immune responses to things that shouldn't actually ever have caused an immune response. And. Obviously, this doesn't just allow for food sensitivities to occur. It can also cause a lot of other you know, permeability issues with the blood-brain barrier like we discussed. And so how this kind of happens, how does leaky gut happen, right? So there's proteins called occludin and zonulin, and they're kind of these regulators of tight junctions of the cells of your stomach lining. Um, and if you think about you know, your stomach lining, it has just one layer of cells that are these epithelial cells that are basically only really supposed to open and close at certain times to allow nutrients in from your gut lumen from kind of that digestive tract that gut is, or that food is floating throughout in that mucus layer. Um, and it's supposed to keep out, you know, bacteria and different viruses and toxins and large particles or poorly digested food, because if it gets into that gut, it can get into the bloodstream. And so that's why those tight, you know, junctions are so important. And so as we just discussed in and of itself, you know, that getting into that gut and that blood circulation can cause that immune response and that inflammatory response. So zonulin kind of travels throughout the bloodstream to the brain and similarly opens tight junctions there allowing things in. And so if you have a leaky gut situation where zonulin is high in high amounts, you end up in this situation where now things are getting into the bloodstream that should never get into the bloodstream, like these toxins, these bacterias, these pathogens. And that's what causes the systemic inflammatory immune response, essentially. We know 70 to 80% of our immune system resides in the gut. And so that is why the gut, you know, we've talked about Hippocrates saying all disease begins and ends in the gut ultimately, because that is where So many of those immune responses kind of happen. So, this is kind of a vicious cycle. Um, Leaky gut leads to leaky brain, which increases and promotes inflammation in the brain. Um, Leaky gut also leads to the development of more food sensitivities, which increases the body's systemic inflammatory burden, increases inflammation in the brain. And it's kind of like this one big inflammation promoting party, none of us really want to (laughs) be involved in. Um, And that's the hardest part is that a lot of people think, I have a food sensitivity, remove the food. That is really only removing a little bit of fuel to the fire that's existing. You need to understand how do we get rid of the fire and then how do we repair all of the damage that that fire caused and rebuild to a stronger, better ecosystem that is our microbiome. Um, So- I, as we've talked about a lot, I think proper testing is the first step to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is why we like to
0: pair the MRT with the GI map. So that Mm -hmm. we get a clear picture of what's going on in the gut. We can see the on markers. We can see anti-gliadin markers, which we'll talk about when that, you know, contributes to gluten. So we can actually see what the levels of inflammation are, but we can see on the MRT, what is driving that or contributing to it. Um, you know, and, This allows us to be able to understand what exactly needs to be done in terms of protocols, right? The removal of different foods. This should also be temporary. Like just because you're sensitive again to something today doesn't mean that that food is out for life. You should be able to reintroduce those things down the line once you've really worked to heal and seal the tight junctions, Um, you know, and- This is where we use some of those healing agents that we talked about uh, in a previous podcast last Wednesday, like L-glutamine, right? Or probiotics, depending upon what strands need to be fed, prebiotics in certain uh, situations. So that's what we do. We want to identify those hidden pathogens. We want to look at the bacteria in the gut. We want to look at the imbalances, um, you know, contributing to leaky gut uh, and then also the foods that are continuing to drive inflammation. So that way, when we're going through gut healing protocol, we know again that we're not adding more fuel to the fire as we're trying to put the fire out. It's pretty, mm-hmm. you know, ineffective, and so we'll eliminate some of those foods depending upon how they rank and that reactivity. Um, you know, I have some clients who have had, um, for example, they could have there's a food group here that is showing red, yellow, and green. Um, So a a great example, I'll just use beans. That's an easy one, right? So pinto is green for them. Uh, Red kidney bean is yellow and black bean is red. So what do we do in that scenario? Do we have to remove all beans and legumes? Well, as long as that person feels okay eating what's, you know, on the green list, we're going to allow them to keep eating that. So it's a blessing in, you know, one way because we have all of this information, but we can still keep foods in that maybe that person coming in had thought, I have to keep these things out entirely, right? Uh, you know, so it, it's very, very valuable uh, for two ends of the spectrum. People coming in who have just, like we get a I can't remember um, who it was, but there was a client that started with us maybe like six or seven months ago. And they're basically eating like 12 different foods because they thought they had to remove everything. (laughs) And it's like, well, one, that's not enjoyable, right? That's boring. And two, we're missing out a lot of these nutrients like Mm -hmm. antioxidants, fibers, vitamins, minerals, electrolytes. We want to have a wide variety of food. So it just gives us a very clear picture of like things that they could be able to tolerate, things that we need to remove temporarily. And then we'll go through those protocols and then we bring those things, you know, back in because we don't want you to be, you know, having all of these reactions to food. It's a function issue that we need to fix. And so absolutely there's key culprits here uh, that drive leaky guts. And we're going to dive into this a little bit more, but industrial seed oils corn oil, soybean oil, all mm-hmm. those things, those spreadable butters, the low fat, fat-free, all that stuff. Um, get rid of those things. Use your good quality avocado oil, chosen foods. Um, that's the one of the only two brands that have been uh, shown to be 100% avocado oil. Coconut in all forms, coconut oil, coconut butter, coconut mana. all those things are great. Uh, grass-fed butter. Please get rid of your margin tubs and your butter sprays. Grass-fed butter. It's got good you know, vitamin D in there, other various uh, fat-soluble vitamins that we want. Um, olive oil. You know, I use olive oil, cold-pressed olive oil if you're mm-hmm. going to do with salads and stuff like that. Um, and then any ghee or animal lard, all of those things would be what we want to use uh, and avoid or minimize those industrial seed oils as much as possible. Sugar is a huge one. Mm-hmm. Sugar feeds, you know, bacteria. It feeds yeast, parasites. And again, I've, I've posted this on my Instagram. I think we've said it on here before. These bacteria, uh, you know, whether it's fungi or yeast or different strands of opportunistic bacteria, they know how to make you feel bad. They also know how to make you feel good. So they can basically (laughs) trick you uh, into, you've got to eat that sugar. You've got to feed me. Um, And it's going to make you feel crazy if you don't. Like you're really, really craving it or you're really, really moody. You just fixate on it. Um, And then grains and gluten especially. So let's dive into that.
1: Yeah, gluten's a really touchy subject and I was actually um when I was reading a little bit it was talking about how there's actually a um study that was done that looked at time frame between when new research comes out on topics Um, And when it basically reaches your doctor's office for changing how they think about a problem and maybe the therapies associated with that problem. Um, And the British Medical Journal did a meta-analysis of many papers on this topic of like that time frame between when something gets figured out and when it reaches your doctor's office. Um, The average amount of time is 17 years. 17 years from the time a new research article might be published before your doctor down the street knows about that information and is using it in practice. And you guys, unfortunately, celiacs and non celiac gluten sensitivity, more importantly, is kind of a newer topic in terms of research. And so it's going to be a while before this is mainstream. I think it's starting to get a little bit more mainstream thanks to social media. Um, But we need to understand that, unfortunately, gluten is not something that is great, um, for us. So gluten is basically the family of protein that is in grains. Um, gluten itself is not necessarily bad for you. Bad gluten is bad for you. Um, because there is gluten in rice, there is gluten in corn, there's gluten in quinoa. Those are not bad for you. And you could be allergic to rice, um, to the protein in rice. You are actually only allergic to proteins. Uh, and that doesn't mean like you're allergic to only chicken eggs, you know, meat, stuff like that. There's certain protein components of food. So there's a gluten protein in rice. Um, But the topic of gluten sensitivity relates specifically to wheat, rye, and barley. Um, And that is the family of grains that are toxic to humans. So you got to kind of think of digestion like a cheesecloth that is over your intestines. Okay. Hang with me here for a second. So This cheesecloth, only, obviously cheesecloths have like tiny little holes in them and they strain things. They only allow certain things to get into the gut and the bloodstream. And amino acids are technically small enough to get through those little openings. The problem with the toxic family of gluten is that the human body literally cannot digest and break them down. So there's actually certain doctors, Dr. Alessio Fasano is a Harvard doctor, and he actually made the statement that no human can digest protein. I'm, I'm sorry. No human can digest the protein from gluten. No human proteins can digest of the wheat. toxic proteins of wheat, rye, mm-hmm. and barley. So does that mean we cannot absorb it? Yes. You cannot absorb this food. So something really interesting, if you take the hydrochloric acid that's produced in your stomach, we've talked a lot about stomach acid. You can go back a few episodes. We did a whole few series on it. And you put that stomach acid in a bottle. <clears throat> if, you put that, if you put your finger in that bottle... It will eat your finger to the bone in less than a minute. The stomach acid is that acidic in our stomach that will literally eat the finger to its bone in a minute. If you put gluten, like a piece of bread, a piece of glutinous bread in that same bottle, it will not digest the bread. It will eat your finger to the bone, but it will not break down the proteins and gluten. It just cannot. And so what happens is that because we cannot digest it, we can't get it down to the individual break, you know, amino acids that can get through that cheesecloth, it's kind of like someone took a big brick and broke that brick into multiple clumps. And all these different clumps of brick that are called, you know, the peptides, they're made up of those amino acids, are way too big to get through that cheesecloth into the bloodstream. But the immune system will see these clumps of brick and thinks that they are pathogens. They think that they're bad bacteria. And what happens is we start making an inflammatory response to attack the bacteria, which are these clumps of brick per se. So the inflammatory response in the intestines, the inflammation in the intestines, causes tears in that so-called like cheesecloth or essentially the epithelial layer. And so now we have tears in our stomach lining in turn leading to leaky gut. Yeah. So
0: just to clarify that really quick, because I think it got a little bit confusing there. We're talking about wheat, rye, and barley. Yes. A lot of people who have, you know, issues with gluten or celiac can tolerate oats, quinoa, yes. amaranth, things like that. So just wanted to clarify that really quick because we're talking about, you know, specific to these, you know, kind of three categories. Because again, they're the biggest culprits to create tears in the guts or the cheesecloth, right? And so it's allowing those, um, you know, larger particles to basically fire off chemical bullets uh, known as isotypes that cause inflammation throughout your body. And so when you keep pulling on, you know, a chain, the chain breaks at its weakest link. Um, And if it's at one end or the middle or the other, it's your heart, it's your brain, your liver, your gut, wherever a weak link is in the chain, that's where you're going to eventually get the symptoms of gluten sensitivity, wherever that weak link is. So again, remember, this isn't going to show up always as Stomach ache, cramps, pains, diarrhea, constipation, right? It can show up as heart palpitations, depression, anxiety, forgetfulness, uh, joint pain, back pain, all different types of things in the body, um, you know? And so this is just something that we've talked about this ad nauseum on the podcast, like do your best get gluten out 100%. It's not like a 90/10 thing. Um and I get it that it's hard. I was just saying to Becker earlier. I was like, "Man, I really got to get Marcus off gluten because sometimes I'm eating the stuff and then I'm not 100% gluten-free because I'm taking bites of his, you know, pretzels or his uh little um dumplings that he loves. But this is really important and when we're going through gut healing protocols, we remove gluten for all of our clients. Um, Even if we're not seeing high levels of anti gliadin or high levels of zonulin, uh, we do remove it because it can manifest again: psoriasis, seizures, you know, achy joints. As I was mentioning, I I paused there for a second because I was even thinking, like, I have a lot of clients who think that their eczema and like their psoriasis Mm -hmm. and all of these things aren't correlated to gluten. That gut skin connection is powerful. I guarantee you, if you go through a gut healing protocol. All of that's going to go away if you do it right, right? The strategies of get your testing, identify what's going on, remove the sensitivities. You know, I'm not saying that you can eventually bring things back and, you know, not have those symptoms come back, but you can manage these things a lot better. Allergies is another big one, right? Um, again, fatigue, as we've mentioned, infertility, even for some individuals, um, you know, and thyroid. Thyroid conditions, I think everybody thinks they have a thyroid condition, you know? And so it's for us, we are continue to preach and we will continue to preach what's the root cause. Remove the culprits, remove the foods that are causing inflammation, heal and seal your gut, give your body the support that it needs so that you can move on from these things. And again, while the dysfunction may today be a variety of things that you're currently eating, it doesn't mean that you have to give those things up forever. But if you go through a protocol, you may need to give those things up temporarily, do the work and then
1: bring them back in down the line. Yep it's it's a process you know it, the good news is that you can heal your gut the the cells within the gut regenerate themselves a lot you can reintroduce bacteria strains you can feed those back good bacteria strains you can kill off the bad bacteria like you can heal in this state. The hardest part is that if you have these food sensitivities and you're continuing to eat those foods, you're basically just trying to heal while throwing more fuel on the fire that's existing. And that's the problem that so many people run into, I think, is, you know, they either try to just remove the food sensitivities. And so, okay, maybe I don't have as extreme of symptoms anymore, but there's still so much healing that needs to go on within the gut at that point um, that you aren't done with the job, you know? And so- Like Liz was saying, you don't have to remove these things forever. The reason you probably have these food sensitivities is because the compromised situation with the gut lining and the gut health. And so you need to understand how do I solve that? I probably need to get some testing done. I need to figure out like what my problem is because obviously we do testing with all of our clients and yes, they all have things going on. They all look different though. Some people have really low levels of good microbiome and so we need to help build those up. They might not necessarily have some overgrowths going on other people have a ton of overgrowth have parasites have pathogens but their microbiome's okay their problem is they have more bad guys going on that need to be killed off and so it kind of depends on the person with what the situation is and what the protocol is and that's why i think testing can be so helpful to understand these things so you can actually remove all these triggers and truly heal and get to a place where your body does function how it's supposed to function because at the end of the day i think you know we we were talking a little bit earlier a lot of what happens as we age is we just accumulate. We accumulate toxins. We accumulate inflammation. We accumulate triggers that are you know, causing worsening health. And I think the disease in general, a lot could be prevented if we were just more proactive with our health. I think we you know, play aging as this card of just like, oh, things just get really crappy when you get old. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't think they have to. You know, I mean, yeah, there's certain parts of aging you can't, aging you can't escape, but like in general, a lot of aging is just a degradation of health because we weren't proactive with what we could have done. And so look into what can be done. There's a lot that can be done. And that's what I, you know, I love doing this for is like I just want to find the healthiest version of myself at every point in life. And that's gonna look different, but that's gonna mean a constant quest. Mm-hmm. And are you up for that? Or are you just willing to, you know, lay over and play dead? Yeah. Just accept that, you know, well... I'm
0: another year older, so my brain is, you know, degrading itself. No, there's ways that you can preserve it, and there's a lot of things that you can do to support your health. And as one of our clients says, "aging gracefully," Mm -hmm. you know, and that's going to look different in different seasons. Perimenopause, postmenopause, right there, may be a journey in and of itself. There, I'm going through a journey right now. I've already been through one in 2014, but every time we do a test, we see opportunities to improve things. Um, And a lot of what we're correlating on, you know, the GI map is the level of inflammation in the body, like. I have a a client that I'm going to be giving a protocol to later this week. For her, it's inflammation and it's migraines. We're not even going to look at hormones until we fix the things that are going on in the gut. She basically has no good commensal bacteria. So we've got to build that up and restore function there. And then other things can fall in line and she can feel well and get rid of these headaches and get rid of these migraines because those things aren't normal either. And you can keep masking the symptoms as long as you want, right? You can take Tylenol, you can take
1: Making things worse. In yeah, the gut. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Antibiotics, like all of these things, and again, we're not anti the medicine. It's just we really need to evaluate: does this serve us? And if we are going to take these things, what are the repercussions? It's one of the things that we check a lot on in terms of prescriptions: is what are the you know depletions of nutrients so that we can do our best to fill those gaps, right? So that we're not you know continuing just to Mass symptoms, but then internally you just starve ourselves of all of these nutrients that we really need. So, you know, and the last thing that I'm going to say here regarding uh the gluten-free is once you get into it, it's not that hard. A lot of restaurants now have gluten-free menus. Um, there's a lot of options out there. I would say that I think by far, uh, my favorite pasta is the Joval that I just found from yep. Thrive. Yep for a long time I was doing like the Banza pasta and yeah, there's more protein. Yeah. There's more fiber because it's made Mm. from chickpeas, but the Joval is so So good. good. Thrive has a lot of good things. Um, so we'll link those things out in the show notes, uh, but just start to become aware of these things. And you know, what we would challenge all of you guys to do is really take that evaluation. of like, where are all of these sources coming from in my diet of the wheat, the rye and the barley? Um, you know, glyphosate is a whole other topic that we could get into another day, but like the EWG is coming out with all kinds of information with glyphosate and gluten oh. and all of this mm-hmm. stuff, you know, um, and how they're linking it to, to disease. And so just start to take an evaluation. Obviously it's going to be, uh, in sauces. It can be hidden in there. So you want to look for that certified gluten-free most stores have that now. I think, uh, I've even shared this before on the podcast, but like, I remember when gluten-free started to become, you know, more popular. Because then people started seeing it as like, oh, I went gluten-free is like a diet. Like, it's not a weight loss protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were even labeling chicken at the grocery store as gluten-free. It's like, come on, why would chicken have gluten in it? But um, you can look for that certified gluten-free label or you can look again for the ingredients on the ingredients list. So turn it around, hashtag turn it around, look at the ingredients and it'll tell you on there. Usually it says in bold, something like contains wheat, you know, soy, nuts, those types of things, because they have to make you aware uh, of these things. So we hope that this is helpful and we hope that you will take this to heart. Maybe consider going gluten-free hundred percent. Check out Thrive. We'll put the links in the show notes there for some goodies. And we'll be back on Wednesday.